0: My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Greentree. It's good to be together this morning. We are continuing in our study in Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to, you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. The passage will also be uh, on the screen this morning, I think we're in about week seven uh, of a twelve-week series. So, counting this morning, we have five more Sundays uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. This morning, we're going to be in chapter eight, verses ten through thirteen. So, last week we sprinted; we had we had we had ten hurdles to overcome uh, in that sermon. This morning, we're going to take a nice leisurely stroll with three observations uh, in these four verses. Uh, in 1974. Uh, Roman Polanski uh, directed and produced a movie called Chinatown. How many people saw Chinatown? Jack Nicholson uh, uh, starred as a private detective named Jake Geddes. And Jake Geddes was on a, uh, he was a flat foot, he was a private eye, he was trying to figure out a murder. And he comes into conflict with a guy named Noah Cross. And when you meet Noah Cross in the movie, you don't really have a great feeling about him. You think that maybe he he might be a little bit of a bad guy. And as the movie unfolds, uh, you you find out more and more that Noah Cross really is actually pretty evil. He, he's actually a, a pretty rotten person. There's a and a an counter towards the end of the movie where uh, the Jack Nicholson character, Jake Geddes, is getting closer to the truth. He's getting closer to what happened. He's getting closer to finding out. He really knows that Noah Cross, is he's the, he's the guy. He, he's awful. He's evil. What he's done is terrible. And he, and he thinks he's going to, he thinks he's got him. He thinks he's going to catch him. And Noah Cross says uh, to, to Jake Geddes as, as he's confronting him, he says, most people never have to face the fact that at the right time and in the right place, they're capable of anything. And he speaks it in an arrogant tone that basically says, I can't be touched. I have so much money, I have so much power, I have so much influence, there's no way you're gonna bring me down. And you know how the movie ends? The bad guy gets away with it, he wins. Now if I've just spoiled the movie for you, it's 2020, that was 1974, you should've already seen (laughs) the movie, okay? Uh, So I I don't feel bad about, about that, I didn't feel the need to say spoiler alert. But, but you're left with this notion of evil, evil wins sometimes. I mean, this was, if you haven't seen the movie, it's a classic. You should watch it. This is an evil person. And at the end of the movie, you're left going, oh, why bother? If that's how the world turns out, what's the use? What's the point? Uh, and, and maybe you've had that experience. Not necessarily in a movie. Maybe you've seen a movie like that. There are plenty of movies out there where, where the bad guys win, uh, on some level, but maybe you 've had that experience in your life maybe that 's the experience of your marriage maybe that 's the experience with a business partner who maybe stole from you uh, and hurt you financially maybe that 's the experience of a, tre- a teacher who treated you arbitrarily in the classroom. I, I certainly know I had dozens of teachers that didn 't give me the grades that I deserved, um, <laughs> which is why I have the degrees hanging on my wall because they were not quick enough to catch me. Um, but I'm guessing that everybody has you know, somebody in their mind that they can think of that, that's harmed them and that has made them think, why bother? What's the point? The wonderful thing about God's word is that it doesn't skirt around these issues. It doesn't pretend like they don't happen. He ha- it actually dives right in and it offers us a perspective that is God's perspective, which is filled with an acknowledgement that, yeah, a broken and sinful world, that's exactly right but also that there, is, that there is a hope. There are outcomes that we cannot yet see. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 10 through 13, hear the word of God. Solomon, the the preacher is speaking and he says, then I saw the wicked buried. And I want you to listen and look as we go through the entire morning, the word wicked and evil is going to be used quite a bit in this short section of scripture. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is, set fu- is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together for just a moment. i give you a moment for silent prayer before I lead us in prayer. And just ask the Lord to, to speak to you and teach you this morning what he wants you to know. And then I'll, I'll pray uh, for us corporately. Father, we thank you this morning that we could sing your praise. We could remind one another uh, that your name is holy and that you care about us, that you redeem us, uh, that uh, you're the one that puts the breath in our lungs to, to live, uh, to have families and, and friendships, to engage in, in commerce and education. Uh, to be here together to worship this morning, to praise you. You're, you're the one who gives us life. And so we come to you, the life giver, acknowledging this morning that life isn't always fair and that sometimes in the short run, uh, it seems to us the wrong, the wrong person or the wrong group or the wrong idea wins out the day. And it feels very unjust and it feels very wrong that evil is not met head on. So Father, we thank you that you don't You don't avoid these issues. You don't. That's awkward. I think I'll go somewhere else and talk about love or talk about beauty. You, you, you bring us in even deeper. You challenge us with even more heart and mind examination. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would teach us. We pray that your word would open our hearts and minds to what you want us to know. Father, please forgive my sin. Don't let it be a hindrance to your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Though justice and mercy of God sometimes appears irrelevant in this life, God's righteousness will have the last word. So we're going to look at both of those things this morning. We're going to look at the fact that there's sometimes when evil or wrongdoing or wickedness, however you want to label it, uh, seems to win out in the end. Uh, God's justice is what will have the last word. As I mentioned a moment ago compared to last week, a leisurely stroll, three observations uh, in this text. And the first one uh, is, is simply a reminder. It's a somber reminder in verse 10 about the world in which we live. Solomon says, I saw the wicked buried. He had maybe been to a funeral earlier in the day. Maybe he had been on the, on the portico of the palace and looked out and seen a funeral procession. But what, for whatever reason, it got him thinking. And it brought him to this conclusion. He saw somebody buried who he knew was a bad guy. He knew was a person that wasn't uh, a good person. But they used to go in and out of the holy place, out of the temple, and were praised in the city where they had done the bad things that Solomon knew they had done. And he throws his hands up and he says, this is vanity. This is, this is hell. This is, this is a waste. Uh, if this is life under the sun, then there's no true meaning. If wickedness thrives, that's just one more example of where life just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. There's something fundamentally unfair in the universe. And, and the reason I believe that Solomon is looking at, at either someone he knows by reputation or closely is because it leads him to this thought it leads him to the thought of, wait a minute, it would appear that, that that, I'm just calling him a guy, it might have been a woman, but I'm assuming maybe it was a man, that guy got away with it. And now he's had you know, it's like the mob uh, funeral. The mob boss gets away with it all of his life. He rakes in millions through prostitution and drug dealing and, and all these things. And now he you know he has you know a thousand uh, roses in his casket. It seems like he got out without paying the price for what went wrong. Solomon has some inside knowledge into, into this wicked person who's being buried. So I want to try to make it personal for us this morning. Who comes to your mind when you think about someone who's really done wrong? And, and in particular, done you wrong. I, sure, we can all look at the news and go, well, I don't like that political figure or that political figure. I, I, I get that. I understand that. But there's a really good chance that the, you know, the people running for president aren't going to come and knock on my door and explain to me why I should vote for them. There's a real good chance I'm not meeting any of those guys. But I guarantee you there are people in my life who have done harm to me. There, there, there are faces that can come to my mind when I think about the, the, you know, the person that seems to have gotten away with it. Who is the person? Where's your example? Uh, in your life. I could give you one yesterday. Uh, Cindy was at one of the stores over in Sunset Hills uh, looking, I don't know, I can't remember what she was looking for, but uh, I think some pillows maybe to go with a couch. And she saw something she wanted to pull down and look at, and she had her kind of purse over her shoulder. So she set her purse down and she went and picked up the pillow. She looked at it. No, that's not right. And went to pick up her purse. It was gone. Just like that. So guess what we got to do for two hours last night? We got to call the bank and the credit card company and then that, and that, and that. And then uh, what did you lose? She said, well, the, the, thing I, the thing I really valued that I lost were my uh, sunglasses, my prescription sunglasses. And and they were expensive sunglasses. And, and so I'm thinking in my heart, well, you know, whoever picked up that person ran out of the store. I hope they ran into the parking lot as a car was coming. And they, you know, <laughs> got what was coming to them. Right? So. That's a bad thought for your pastor to have. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that's the end of the sermon, right? Let's close, <laughs> let's close in prayer. <laughs> but, it, but is it not a natural thought? I want them to get theirs. Who's that person in your life? Solomon gives us a somber reminder that, that life can not appear meaningless. The second observation of this text is that evil is not always obvious. Sometimes evil is not clearly seen. He sees the wicked buried, but, but what was their reputation? They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city. These are people that whatever their deeds are, they're hidden. They're, they're, they're kind of stuffed under the rug, and the, the normal rank and file folks don't know anything about it. it this is a, 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 an evil person disguised as a good person. It's the proverbial wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, Solomon's not the only person in the Scripture to recognize this. When you fast forward to the book of Acts, some thousand years later, and Paul is leaving the city of Ephesus, and he's just helped plant a new church. So, Green Tree, we're all about church planting. So, just think church planting, and, and you're right there. Paul's just planted a church in Ephesus. It took him two years. He got it done, and now he's hitting the road, and he says a whole bunch of really great things to the elders, but he also gives them this warning, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among the flock, and they will not spare the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples, and here's where he defines the evil in this situation, after themselves. So if you want to know if you're in a church that's preaching the word, are the elders, are the preachers telling you to follow them or telling you to follow Jesus? What Paul says is an evil, an evil leader will tell you it's all about me. Come follow me. The righteous person, and Paul spent two years in Ephesus saying, come follow Jesus. Put your faith in him. But Paul was saying, guys, if, if you're looking out at the flock, and I mean, it's easy to see in this picture, right? I mean, you can't miss the wolf, but what if there were a thousand sheep around him? It'd be awful hard to spot him. And that Paul says, it's not always obvious. Bad can be disguised as good. And on top of that, God doesn't immediately punish sin. Let's go back to verse 11 in Ecclesiastes 8. There's my, there's my little buddy from last Sunday. I love this guy. He's, just, he's, he's not given in. Because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily, Something else happens. We'll come back to the something else in just a minute. But what, what Solomon is noticing is, you know, if, if you commit the sin on a Tuesday and it's really an evil act, it doesn't mean that that's going to that's be called to account on Tuesday or on Wednesday or on Thursday or this year or next year or maybe even in your entire life. God is patient with the sin of humanity. So this little guy who's kind of staring at us, he's the little guy who's not sad that he put his hand in the cookie jar. What's he sad about? That he got caught. And what he's thinking right now is, how am I going to do this the next time so as not to get my hand slapped? Not only can bad be disguised as good, but sometimes, many times, often, as God is patient with sin it would appear that there is no recompense. There is no reckoning at the end of the day. And therefore, the third observation in, this, in the second part is that God's patience can be misunderstood. Look at the second half of this verse. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man, so that's humanity. That's everybody, men, women, however you want to identify yourself. This is all of us, okay? The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. We misunderstand God's patience. We tend to think, well, God hasn't acted. He hasn't done anything. That actually worked out okay for me. I, I made more money at the other person's expense or, or my reputation is better now and their reputation is worse. Whatever the, the case may be, I seem to have won. And we misunderstand the patience of God and we take it as a license to sin. We assume there are no consequences and, and we end up as, uh, as Dr. Evil. Remember Austin Powers? Remember Dr. Evil? I love, I love Dr. Evil. I, I love people who just put it out there. I was so happy. I'm going to go down a side road. I probably shouldn't. Uh, you know, my favorite politician in the world is Rob Blagojevich. And he just got pardoned the other day. Now, the reason he's my favorite, is because he was the most honest. He said, yeah, I'm selling the Senate seat. He, he, he just he threw it right out there. He went to jail for it, but he threw it right out there. But it's like Dr. Evil. He's not sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm just me. How often do, do I think, you know what? That sin wasn't so bad. No lightning bolt struck me out of heaven. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 2. He asks the question, do you presume on the riches of his, his is God's, on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant for what? To lead you to repentance, not to give you a license to sin, but to give you a moment to come to your senses, evil, is not always obvious. And sometimes it's not obvious because we suppress it in our own hearts. Third observation in this text is not only a sombre reminder, not only that evil is not always obvious, but thirdly, there will be justice. There will be justice. Now, appearances are not always how they appear right appearances can't can 't can fool you sometimes i 'll give you a perfect example of this in two thousand and eleven a buddy of mine said, "I have uh, two tickets, and I want you to share one of them. I want you to go with me to the Tuesday practice round at Augusta National at the masters and anybody's been in golf you know that's the mecca that's where you want to get to so i 'm like, yeah, I think I had three funerals that day, but i 'll go with you know i 'm dropping everything no matter what it is I'm, I'm going to, to to Augusta so we got up early in the morning and we were at the course and we spent most of the day at the course, and about mid-afternoon, well, yeah, maybe we think about beating the crowds a little bit, so we're starting to walk out, and, we, and there's two people walking towards us, and they're a little bit older, and the guy looks up, and he looks at me, not at my buddy, and he goes, what are you doing outside the ropes? I thought you had a practice round today. Now, <laughs> they know me way too well, don't they? I could have said, excuse me, sir, I don't know what you're talking about, I've never even shot par in my life, right? But I said instead, you know, my shoulder's a little sore today. (laughs) I'll be okay tomorrow. And I just kept on walking. Both of those things were true. My shoulder was a little sore, and I thought it'd be better the next day. So I have no idea why this guy says this to me. And as he gets, like, just past my shoulder, he looks at the woman walking with me. and says, that was Kenny Perry. (laughs) It's a stretch, but okay. So appearances are not (laughs) are not always what they seem. <laughs> I, I no, I'm not half a Kenny Perry. I mean, I'm probably twice as big as him, but, but I, I can't play golf like that. But sometimes you're fooled by appearances. Let's go back to verse 12 and 13 in Ecclesiastes. Though the sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Now wait a minute, solomon you 've just said a couple verses ahead of this that you were despondent because the wicked seemed to be getting away with everything, and, and you 're saying life is vanity, but now you 're saying it will now be well with the wicked what what 's going on here and I think what Solomon ultimately understood, even in his struggle was that God was going to balance the books, that God was going to set things right, that even though a sinner did things a hundred times. Over and prolong their life, it, it it's not going to be well for the wicked. It's actually going to to go well for those who fear God. So let me uh, let me take you to Hebrews for for just a minute. And in Hebrews chapter four, the author of Hebrews says this: No creature, no person anywhere, past, present, future, everybody in human history, no creature is hidden from His sight. That being God's, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The author of Hebrews includes himself, but he says, guess what? Everybody who's ever lived is going to stand before God as if they were completely naked, everything laid bare, and you're going to have to give an account for your life, for your choices, for your thoughts, for your words, for your deeds, for everything you've ever done that's been helpful and positive to another person and everything you've ever done that's been hurtful to yourself or to others. I cannot imagine how long my bad list is. That's a disturbing verse. This is even more disturbing. It is appointed man to die once, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, and after that comes judgment. In other words, if I stand before a God who's holy and righteous and perfect as I am, completely exposed for who Tom Ricks truly is, there's only one word that fits that encounter, and the word is judgment. The word is God sees me for who I am. God will balance the books. So we come back to chapter uh, 8, verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked. So the question that I have to ask this morning, I think, as I read this text, is not, you know, who's that person that swipes Cindy's purse and are they going to get their comeuppance? But how will my exposed life be judged by God? When I give an account for my life, what will be the occasion? I read to you just a a couple moments ago, Paul's uh, question, why are you misunderstanding the patience of God? Don't you understand it's meant to bring you to repentance? Let me give you the entire context of that. Let me read for you the five verses of of the second chapter of Romans. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. In other words, when I look at somebody else and go, well, at least I'm better than them. So, you know, it, it, you've got somebody like, it, that you thought of earlier, and maybe you have thought, well, at least I'm better than them. Well, you've judged them as if you're God. So you've got to throw yourself into the category with me. Now it's talking to me. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, do you suppose, O oh man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them to yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And now here's that verse. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It will not be well for the wicked. And I have to understand that I am actually included not in the side of the victims, but in the side of the culprits. I'm not Jake Geddes trying to make the world right. I'm Noah Cross living only for myself. The author of Hebrews, we quoted Hebrews a couple minutes ago. Let me give you the context for that verse as well. And just as it appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ Having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In Christ, there is Hope. That's why Solomon was able to say in in verse 12, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God because they fear before him. Solomon wasn't quite, he he was a thousand years before Jesus came. He was looking forward to the Messiah in anticipation, but he was certain that God was going to provide grace. And now we get to look back at it through the lens of uh, of the last 2,000 years, the church age, through the lens of the New Testament, and we know the name. The name is Jesus. That's how God provides for the evil, for the bad guys. So I, I, would, I would be surprised. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I would be surprised if at the beginning of the sermon I said, think of your, your guy, think of your gal, whoever it is that did you wrong. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't think any hands would go up. I'm pretty sure nobody thought of themselves. I'm pretty sure we thought of somebody else. I know I did. And, and I had practice of the first service. I still thought of somebody else in the second service. And I'm pretty sure I'll do that again in the third service. We need to understand that we're the bad guy. We need to understand that, that we're the ones who deserve the wrath and the judgment of God. We're the, we're, the, we're the folks. Solomon sees the casket going by and says, how did Ricks get away with all that? How is it that he wasn't held accountable for the things that he did. Because it's the only, if, 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 if I don't see myself in this, I have no hope. Because I am that guy, and I will stand before God. But the hope I have is to see myself. The, the way up is actually down. The way up is to say, I am that man. I am that woman. I am that person. I deserve the judgment of God. But I'm fearing after God through Christ Jesus. I'm putting my faith in him. That's how we apply this passage today. We live today understanding that God's righteousness will have the last word, but that, that means that the righteousness of Christ, his perfection is given to me through his sacrifice on the cross. We call it imputed righteousness. Imputed simply means something that's credited to your account. So my account's filled with unrighteousness. And what Jesus does on the cross is he takes all of his righteousness out of his account and he puts it in my account and he takes all the unrighteousness out of my account and he pays for that price on the cross. He suffers the judgment of God for me so that I could cry out for grace and mercy. Imputed simply means you you got the most phenomenal, amazing, eternal, expensive gift card you could ever get in your life. So you ever go, anybody ever give you like a gift? Cindy lost a gift card yesterday in her her purse. Uh, Anybody ever give you a gift card to to Starbucks? You got a gift card, go to Starbucks and say, I'd like an imputed cup of coffee. And then when they look at you like you have three heads and say, what are you talking about? What does imputed mean? You get to tell them about Jesus, right? That's how it works. You got to, you got to think a little bit about this. Imputed simply means that you get something you don't deserve. You get a gift card, somebody just give me something you don't necessarily deserve. They're just being nice to you. God has given us grace, the imputed righteousness of Christ. If that's where you are this morning, if that's where I am this morning, then our response to this is thankfulness. It's rejoicing, and it's wanting to share it with other people. Other folks need to know this gospel, this good news that they, because they know if they look close enough at their hearts, they see the evil. If you look close enough at your heart, you're going to see the evil. You know you're in a pickle before standing before God. Therefore rejoice in the fact that the righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And if you're here this morning and you're going to and you're going to run the risk of standing before God without Jesus, the word of God begs you to reconsider that. I would I would beg you too, but the word of God's much stronger than me. The word of God begs you to understand it will not go well for the wicked. And you are wicked, just like the rest of us. You don't get a free pass. Your opportunity this morning is to say, "I I want the imputed right I want that righteousness. And by faith, trust in Jesus, what he's done on the cross for you. It will not go well for the wicked, but in Christ it can be a great ending. God's righteousness will win out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this somber passage is also a passage of hope. It's a passage that that draws us into a longing, into a desire that it be well with our souls. And you have made that pathway for us through, through the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Solomon didn't understand that yet. He was looking forward to it, but he saw the outer edges of it. He understood ultimately that you were going to judge wickedness, but that your righteousness was going to continue into all eternity. And so, Lord, as we now know the name of Jesus, we pray that we would see him as our righteousness and that we would fully embrace that that he would create that pathway that we would be sons and daughters of the living God, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. Father, we don't want to shortchange the fact that, that many people, maybe just about everybody in this room has been hurt by someone else. We don't want to say that isn't important. But Father, help us to understand, lest we judge others and use a different measuring rod than we use with ourselves, that that person too needs the grace of Jesus. And do that work in our heart, Lord, where maybe we could begin to pray for them today, that they would know Christ as well. We pray in his name. Amen.